This is the Conscious Economics Podcast. Your co-hosts are two women who found themselves in careers on Bay Street, but decided that there was something missing. So here we are. I'm Rhiannon Roseland. I'm your co-host and the CEO of the Economic Club of Canada. I'm also the co-founder of Conscious Economics. Hi, I'm Asil, the CEO of Conscious Economics and a financial therapist. Now, we call ourselves economic healers, and that is a term that I'm sure nobody has heard before, but we really believe that if we want to heal our systems and create a more equitable society, it starts with actually healing our relationship with money and the economy. When you join us on this podcast, you'll be exposed to courageous conversations that help us examine, heal, and redefine the relationship we have with money. Join us on this journey as we co-create the new economy together. And welcome back to the Conscious Economics Podcast, the only place where you can talk about money and the economy and all things related to building a new system with two fun hosts. I'm Rhiannon, and I'm joined by my lovely co-host, Asil. Hello, everyone. As we always do, we have such an interesting topic for you today, and it starts with this question. Re, can you be spiritual and rich? Okay, so I think that this is... This is huge. This is, I think, one of the things that so many people struggle with, especially Mm -hmm. when we use this word conscious economy. What does that mean? And I think a lot of people right now feel that if we want to have a better world, if we want to have more equity, peace, inclusion, that that doesn't come with being wealthy or rich, that we need to abandon that idea that, you know, it's it's money that is going to give us some of that happiness or, or that freedom or that that's actually the thing that's corrupting everything everything. I tend to think that we can have both. I'll get into why, but what do you think? This is what my whole career is trying to promote is that concept of healing, not just the relationship we have with money, but all these negative projections that we've attached to this concept of money so that we can actually embrace it as a resource that is as powerful as it is Mm -hmm. to cultivate all the positive changes we want to do because I feel that money is a transformation tool Mm -hmm. you transform your ideas and your values into tangible reality that has such an impact on society but just to insert in a side note here, when we use the word spiritual, we're not just referring to people who have spiritual beliefs. It can also be religious beliefs or anything that is potentially, you know, somebody who values a connection with God. And there's a whole variety of that from like the three religions all the way to Buddhism, Hinduism. There's tons of different uh, spirituality. So when we're saying the word spiritual, we're really overarching all these particular aspects here. Yeah. Um, even when I say the word spiritual, I don't necessarily think of religion, but I just think of the quest of knowing oneself, knowing one's soul and, and just going through a process of really trying to come in alignment with, you know, who you are as a being. And so with all of that said, I think a lot of the times when we hear about people having, having like an awakening or, you know, following a more spiritual path, we don't see those people, you know, we think of them like meditating on the mountaintop. We don't think about them, you know, in a corporate office tower. But I think what is really interesting about this time right now and the new economy is that we want 
to be able to take some of these more ancient and traditional practices and modernize them. And so when we modernize this aspect of spirituality, the modern spiritual person is someone who is engaging in the monetary economy and who is also learning how to value others, themselves, the planet, while operating within a system where there is a currency exchange. Absolutely. The other day I came across this Facebook status and this person actually is a professor of economics somewhere back in the Middle East. I have a lot of respect for him because he has uh, done tremendous amount of research on the history of money, the currency, and there's just so much richness to his profession. And the point he was making on uh, Facebook was he was having a hard time understanding or justifying people who charge money in exchange to teaching yoga or teaching any form of spirituality. And I was like really pondering on that and thinking, so not only do people who think themselves as spiritual have a hard time associating their path of spirituality with, with wealth, but it's also like societally, we disregard the uh, exchange value when we see somebody putting a price tag to even these type of teachings. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to debate him on that. And uh, I remember the TED talk once that was comparing the uh, salaries of like the CEO of Coke, uh, who like, you know, the Pepsi and Coke doesn't really provide much value to society. If anything, it's hurting our bodies drastically to the CEO of somebody who uh, runs a nonprofit who's doing like tremendous amount of impact uh, and like the drastic difference between these two. H- however, society is, is perfectly okay with a CEO of a corporation making millions of dollars a year, but they would never be okay with a CEO of a nonprofit making this much money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I find that really interesting as well. Like, why is that? Mm-hmm. It is interesting, but it all kind of comes down to what our core beliefs are mm-hmm. as a society and how we've sort of been programmed. And I think that's what conscious economics is about, is bringing kind of that conscious awareness to some of that programming and challenging some of those notions. So in one way, when you say, oh, this professor has an issue with someone who's you know, offering something spiritual, a spiritual product, let's say yoga or meditation retreat or something and getting an exchange, well then is it only okay to make money from things that are damaging and and corrupt? Mm -hmm. Is then money corrupt? Because like you said, money is a neutral medium. It's Mm -hmm. what our intention behind it is. So you can have someone who has a lot of money who is doing incredible things for humanity and society. You can also have someone who has a lot of money who isn't doing that. But it's not the money's fault. And so again, I think we're in this really interesting time where we're in a movement right now where we're questioning our systems. We obviously are in this deep questioning around the capitalist system. And we equate that with this idea that money is the root of everything. But is it or is that what we have made it? Mm-hmm. And speaking of questions, I've actually prepared five questions that I would love for everybody listening to this podcast to reflect on. So I'm going to ask them and then we get to now explore that because these questions are a gateway to the belief systems that ultimately create these behaviors that mm. we're that we're um, you know, responding to when it comes to dealing with money and spirituality. So we, we kind of started hinting on some of them, but let's get deeper a bit here. The first is, do you think you can still be a good person if you have a lot of money? So 
I do believe that you can, but this has been one of the core beliefs that I held. I felt that you couldn't because of growing up the way I did and seeing the suffering of my family. I was indoctrinated with a particular belief that you could not be a good person and make a lot of money. And this is something that I've had to challenge in order to be able to call in more money so that I can do Mm -hmm. the good things that I want to do. Absolutely. So my point of view on that is up to a certain point, I struggle when I see billionaires, uh, for example, like, because like how much money is too much, right? Like I, when I think about people who have more money than they can possibly spend in a lifetime, these kind of uh, idealistic thoughts start marching through to me. And I start wondering about all these different things they can actually do when they reallocate some of these funds towards charities and actually tangible differences in, in their communities and in the globe, really. Everywhere you look, there's people in need. So I struggle when I see massive amount of wealth. It's not the concept of wealth. It's it's. Up beyond a certain point and I don't even know what that point is like mm-hmm. is it is it 100 million is it 10 million like I'm not sure what that threshold is but like when we're talking about billions I never understand why anybody would want to be a billionaire mm-hmm. I never understand that concept whatsoever mm-hmm. so this is where I still struggle but I definitely think you can be wealthy and be financially stable and absolutely be a good person. Uh, Coming into this recording, I actually bumped into one of my neighbors who is one of the more wealthy people in our building because she lives in the penthouse and they were absolutely fabulous human beings. And I remember just smiling and saying good morning to her and feeling this immense gratitude to how amazing she is as a person. This is a a millionaire we're talking about. Uh, And I was like really... uh, reflecting on how amazing of a energy and vibrancy she has and how humble and grounded she is like money did not change her as we potentially think of rich people when we have these negative beliefs associated with wealth so yeah this is where i stand on this on this question hold that thought we have a quick word from our partners before going back to the episode This podcast is brought to you by our sponsor, RBC Investees. Backed by expert human advisors, RBC Investees is a smart, online, automated investment service that allows you to invest with low effort and low cost. Open your first RBC Investees account and pay no management fees for your first year. Plus, start investing with as little as $100. Simply visit rbcinvesties.com slash getinvesting and sign up using promo code AA407. And now back to the episode. But the second question is, do you worry that you would somehow be, be corrupted um, when, you're, when you start making a lot of money? Absolutely. But I think that's because that has been a common story that we've seen in movies, in our pop culture, in society. We've seen that story play out over and over and over again. So of course, I somewhere inside of me believe that because it's been something that there has been, you know, evidence of from things that I've witnessed. But I also know that you know, the power of our beliefs. And this is kind of like rooted in everything that we do. So I want to challenge myself on some of those beliefs. But I do think it's, it's very easy and very difficult because I think when you have more money, you have more choices, you have more options. And when you have more choices and options, 
naturally some of those are going to be and I don't want to be like the black and white dichotomy of good and bad but like there's more choices available to you so does that open things up to I don't know I'm for some reason thinking about affairs like and so this is clearly a belief Mm -hmm. that I have like the more money that somebody has the more options that they have to be unfaithful Uh, I never thought about that association but what I thought about was this movie that a show on Netflix that has been uh, a big hype and I recently watched it uh, Squid Games yes Um, oh my god have you seen it I watched the first episode and I was like we are not watching this yeah my 10 year old came saying he wants to watch this no I would not watch it it, and I was like this is like oh this is not appropriate I was not definitely not recommend it to a 10 year old. But what happened is I was actually really interested in watching it specifically because it's all about it the is. money. And yeah. I wanted to like actually look at it from that perspective. So I re- I watched it. And towards the end, the, the old man who was like the mastermind beho- behind the Squid Games said there's something very, very common between people who are poor and people who are extremely rich. There's something common between them. And to both of them, life becomes very dull and boring. Mm. There's nothing that you can possibly buy that would bring you more joy because the poor don't have the means to buy it. And the rich, like there's nothing that brings meaning to them anymore. It loses the fulfillment essence so they needed to come up with something that brings joy back to their life and that's what squid games was designed Mm -hmm. so that they can feel that rush of emotion that rush of meaning that rush of purpose Mm -hmm. Uh, because ultimately every human who loses these aspects of their life starts living a meaningless life and that's where you become the most depressed and and lose zest for life, Mm -hmm. really. Ultimately, that's what it's all about. But that's sort of the interesting dichotomy between this idea of spirituality and wealth is that we as a society have deemed that the purpose or the zest of life is that, you know, needing, working towards, wanting something. And once we get there, it's devoid of meaning all of a sudden. And so that's where the deficit is spiritual. It's not financial and sort of vice versa. When we have nothing, when all we can think about is survival and trying to, you know, put food on the table and keep a roof over our head. Do we have time to cultivate faith and, and, and like a deeper Mm -hmm. understanding of oneself? We're going to explore this more in the psychology of scarcity. We're going to talk about how scarcity actually impacts our, Mm -hmm. our mind and cognitive abilities in more details. Uh, and especially when we have some sort of deprivation. So you're right. When we do have lack of spirituality in our life, we tend to be more materialistic because we're really seeking materialistic uh, or external extrinsic things to fill these voids. However, what's really important to remember here is that it's going back to the fact that it's the meaning we associate with money. So it's not money itself, but it's the love of money that's mm. bad. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the worshiping of money mm-hmm. that that ultimately creates all this uh, combating values between money and spirituality. But to go back to the third question, which actually links very well with what we're talking about here, why do you think? Others would think of you if you had a lot of money. And let me tell you why this question is very important. A lot of people 
especially in, in when they're spiritual and religious and come from certain community, um, the value of society and community is so strong for them. And the concept of identity is very linked to money and how much we make. Mm -hmm. And there's always a, a financial thermostat, I say, that is comfortable between like the lowest we can possibly make before we get really, really uncomfortable and the highest we can possibly make mm -hmm. uh, before we get really, really uncomfortable. We all have it and we're not necessarily aware of it. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily know what that thermostat is. But what deters a lot of people from even wanting a lot of wealth is that identity of what others will start perceiving them as like we talked about would you think you're going to be more corrupt if you make more money but another factor that subconsciously is playing a role in that concept or that thought is what you feel others around you would start projecting towards you when you start accumulating wealth yeah. and that also uh, sabotage your your wealth creation 100%. so what is that for you when you think about it yeah, I think that it's there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of projection that comes on to those that do have wealth, especially in today's world where, you know, again, like I come back to just lots of examples in society right now where people are blaming the rich for everything really in society, all breakdown of society. So it's like, do I want to be in that situation where I have those kinds of, you know, eyes on me? And I know <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, again, this is something that I'm kind of working through and suffering from, but I am a huge people pleaser. I really, really have always put a lot of value in what other people think. And I've allowed other people's definition of me to define me. And that's made me really sick in a lot of ways and just not feeling good in my own skin. And so as I work towards trying to just identify who I am and of myself, and also this idea that you know, you can be very wealthy and be struggling severely and have all kinds of issues that people may not understand that come with that wealth um, and vice versa on the other side. So it's like, yeah, it's it's a very complicated question. It is. But these yeah. are the kind of questions and it, it might take you a few sessions to sit with yourself and ask these questions before you can fully understand and let these things surface uh, of because there's layers to it and mm -hmm. what you can answer today would potentially be different than tomorrow depending on what you're dealing with and that's why these things constantly need to be revisited and rooted back into how they came about that's how we can further understand our belief systems and and more importantly challenge them when they no longer serve us because then we can identify this belief surfaced and now I'm able to look at it and, and say it's not absolute true although there's truth to it here's how it's not serving me and here's how I want to change it so this is why having these uh, questions are important because it helps us reveal what's the layers underneath it well and I think the number one takeaway that I would hope people at home that are listening to this would have is that we have to get out of these polarizing dichotomies of seeing like wealth is bad, poverty is this. Like I think there is such a spectrum and that there is so much gray in life that we, if we can start to embrace that like I can be corrupt 
without a lot of money as well. Yeah. I can be these things and and like even in in and of myself, I'm not pure good. I'm not pure bad. Like I have a mixture of those yeah. things. I'm a human being. I've done lots of bad things. I've done lots of good things and I've done lots of things in the center. Uh, really, that's the reality that I think all of us and we're all so scared to be judged for being wrong or being bad and we're conditioned in this way that we're afraid to kind of look at the reality yes that each of us embody all of the spectrum and that is the spiritual quest or the spiritual path is coming to that understanding so if we can then combine that with the way we look at money and our value system perhaps that's the societal transformation that we need so that's mm -hmm. why these things actually do belong together i remember once you said something along the lines that when you embrace the wealth journey it is a form of activism and that stood so so resonated so well for me um and i will combine the fourth and fifth question together because they're so, sort of similar and i would love for you to reflect on them and it's along the lines do you think it's right or fair to earn a lot of money for helping people and the question is not here making money making a lot of money for helping people that's the specific like underlying the word a lot here is, is important to reflect on and the last question is should you be paid if you're working on helping people or other uh, spiritual endeavors so the first question is making a lot and the second is just making money to help people and I remember having this conversation with my dad who has some sort of communism influence growing up and I wanted to when I was leaving the corporate world I was discussing like my business ideas with him and I wanted to create like a, a non-profit section and a for-profit section and have one flow money to the other and like help making money but helping people at the same time and he was so troubled with that uh, coexistence of both because mm -hmm. he said if you're making money on one end that's going to take away from you helping people on the other and that's going to die not just dilute but pollute almost mm -hmm. the the pursuit on its own um, and that goes along his belief systems around money are definitely very very limiting uh, especially with the communism aspect to it but um, yes that's that's what I would say on that well it's um, again, it, it comes down to this idea that for someone who's helping people, if you're making a lot of money helping people, you must be helping a lot of people. And if helping people is what is being valued, then saying that somebody doesn't deserve value for doing something good makes no sense. Like yeah. that's the opposite of the world that we want to yeah. live in. And we want to start challenging that. But that's kind of been the problem. We've made it okay that those that are, you know, poisoning the planet and doing harm, it's okay that they're, oh yeah, they're the ones we hate. They're the billionaires. Let them be you know and that's not it and that's why you know I do think that regular people embracing that they can attain a certain amount of wealth so that they can put their ideas into the world that they can create their infrastructure that is activism to me and the other piece that I'll just end off on is I fundamentally believe that the next wave of what our world and our economies of scale need is social innovation is profitable uh, enterprise that are solving social issues. So I believe wholeheartedly that you can do good and make money and have those things combined. Does it take a certain amount of discipline? And sure, like it always does. But I, I do believe that myself. 
And these are just my personal beliefs. Yeah. So I'm going to leave you with five tips of how to actually start creating that bridge because the first part of it obviously is being aware, becoming aware of these limiting beliefs to begin with. And I hope up until this point in our episode with the questions and the discussions we're having that you're able to pinpoint where you are limiting yourself and sabotaging your own relationship with money if you have certain spiritual beliefs or religious beliefs that prevented you to do so. But here are five takeaways. So what you can start doing right now to cultivate a healthy relationship with money. And the first one is start realizing that financial freedom is based on enough, not necessarily more, because when you are associating with financial freedom, with that constant pursuit and struggle and the hustle culture that we talk about often, then you're caught up in the never ending cycles of always striving for more, which is honestly taking away from the freedom. Um, And if spirituality is important for you, then freedom absolutely is because they go hand in hand of being a free sovereign human being. Is that how you say that word? Sovereign. Sovereign. Yeah. Oh, I always have to have this like moment. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, the second one is. Uh, refuse to let money speak into your identity. And that's a really big one because naming your core values and recalibrating your life around things that matter to you most is so important without associating your identity with the money that you have. So you're starting to build a really uh, good financial freedom, but not associating your identity to it. The third is when you think about your future, refuse to let any uncertainty take away from the gratitude and the experiences that you're having in the present. And we spoke, we had a whole episode dedicated for the importance of gratitude in your wealth creation process um, earlier in October. So we invite you to listen to it if you didn't. But really, really um, making sure that whatever future projections or goal settings you're having are not taking away from the present gratitude moments you're having along the way. Fourth is focusing on strengthening your relationships. Relationships, everything in life is like so core Uh, tied to that and that really is a good place to start and you may think this is very irrelevant with when we're talking about money why are we talking about relationships and that's going back to the cultivating intrinsic wealth because once you have really strong systems in your life that are grounding you then you tend to be less materialistic and less feeling void uh, in general so you start cultivating much healthier wealth mindsets and lastly own your history. And this is such an important point because we always refer back to our traumas and the stories and all these different things that contributed to why we do and why we behave a certain way with money. But once we own that history, then we're actually able to make a healthy declaration that we deserve the opportunity to reflect, reconcile and own the goals and the desires and the wishes we have for ourselves without letting the past get in the way Mm -hmm. so that's a very important thing to end on absolutely so thank you so much for tuning in this week we hope that we've given you some food for thought definitely reflect on these questions we'd love to hear what you're thinking and as always you can visit us at consciouseconomics.ca to find out more about what we're doing and how you can get involved see you next time see ya This podcast is brought to you by CPP Investments. At CPP Investments, they never lose sight of the long term. They invest the Canadian Pension Plan Fund to help provide financial security for generations of Canadians. 
They diversify the CPP fund across geographies and asset classes to access the best investment opportunities and generate sustainable long-term returns. The fund is now more than $400 billion. To learn more about their investment performance for Canadians, visit cppinvestments.com.